We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on whose land this podcast was produced and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge the commitment and sacrifice of First Nations people in the preservation of country and culture. This was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello, I'm Skosha Monkovich. Welcome back for another episode of Creative Responders in Conversation. Our monthly interview series, where we hear from people on the front lines of emergency management and creative sectors as they prepare, respond and recover from disaster. Today my guest is Melinda Rankin, Director of Fabric Arts and Heritage, which is located in Lobethal, a small regional town nestled in a picturesque valley on Peramac and Gurna country in the Adelaide Hills. Arts organisations play a critical role as community connectors, particularly over the past few years as they support both artists and the wider community through challenging times. Fabric is an arts and heritage hub run by Adelaide Hills Council. Its public program started in early 2019 and at the end of that year, the Cuddly Creek bushfires devastated the area. As a newly established arts organisation with a remit covering both community and economic development goals, the team at Fabric immediately looked to ways the premises and the public program could play a role in supporting the community in its recovery. I'm so pleased to have had this chance to hear more about Fabric's considered approach to this work, the meaningful impact that they have had and the ongoing growth of their role as a connector within the community. I'm sure Melinda's insights will be of interest to many undertaking this kind of work in communities across the country. Please enjoy my conversation with Melinda Rankin. Thanks for inviting me into your home, Melinda. Such a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's lovely to have you. On the mm. lands of the Ghana peoples. Yes, yes. In, uh, well, it's a very damp Adelaide today. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> a little driz- drizzly, and, uh, but I'm watching the beautiful, vibrant yellows of your wattle tree out the window here. Yeah, signs of spring. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your role currently. Yeah. So uh, my role is Director of Fabric Arts and Heritage, which is based out in Lobethal, the Adelaide Hills, on the beautiful lands of the Paramank and the Ghana people. Um, So Fabric is run by Adelaide Hills Council, and I still call it an an emerging arts and heritage hub. We've been going since mid-2018, but in very raw environment of the old Onkapringa woolen mill where the blankets and fabric used to be made. So um, it's a pretty raw factory industrial space in the freezing cold Adelaide Hills in winter and yeah we've it's a community-based organization um, developing exhibitions and um, artist residencies and workshops and retail and events for our with our community but with a textile theme linking back to the textile heritage of the the woolen mill. Can you uh, unpack that a little bit for us because we were talking Mm -hmm. and you said that a lot of the work when that Uh, centre started to open was trying to be responsive to this massive change that was going on for that community. Mm. So the mill operated for 120 years and uh, it was the mill was the town was Lobethal Um, really everyone worked in the mill had connections and generations worked there so when the mill closed in the early 90s which a lot of the mills did around Australia um, it was devastating for the town so that you know people lost their jobs generations of people um, who had worked there then had to find work elsewhere and so that's been um, 
I guess a trauma for the town, actually, that still sits there in residually in the town um, as something that hasn't really properly healed, I think. You know, some people moved on, some people never worked again after that. So, it, yeah, it has been a trauma that has shaped the town. And so how did you work with that when Fabric yeah, began? Yeah, it was actually the first thing I wanted to do was um, you were operating this mill that had its amazing history, but I wanted to... Uh, understand some of that a bit more and see, explore ways that the arts could connect with that and maybe work with some of that, help help shift some of that that was stuck. So we engaged with um, Vic McEwen from CAD Factory and uh, through funding from Country Arts SA to capture some of the stories of those mill workers and partly to help them see that their stories were important and to honour that uh, and also to start to explore ways that contemporary visual arts can actually dig into some of these stories and share them in a, you know, to a wider, a wider community. So that was a lovely project. Vic did that, you know, as sensitively as he does all of his projects. And um, he uh, interviewed, filmed uh, different people and then created this really lovely or cu- curated really range of events that included large-scale projection of mill workers onto the buildings. Again, it was it was winter, it was May and we were all rugged up in Onkapringa blankets and we wor- worked our way for these performances um, throughout History Month, in which is in um, May in um, South Australia, and uh, two evenings a week we would take people around the site to see these projections and then we took them inside and they heard some of the ghost stories about the building. Further inside they were taught by some former mill workers uh, how to dance the military two-step because they used to have an Onkabringa ball and they were taught by a former queens of the Onkabringa ball. So he just teased out these beautiful histories of the town that we hadn't even been aware of. We had a local um, singer songwriter perform a song about when the last whistle blew because the the mill had this whistle that sounded throughout the whole town. So you had this lovely range of stories that picked up on some of the the lovely aspects of the mill's history in the town. Mm. And such deep uh, connection therefore with the people. Yeah, yeah, the town. yeah. They they loved it, and yeah, even like the the mule story. We had uh, sorry the whistle story. Um, people come after and said, "Oh, the the wheel the the mule whistle was blown by our, our our dad. You know, he died a couple of years ago, but he was he was the timekeeper, and he'd ring the he'd he'd ring the time. Uh, you know, we used to ring up the see what the time was to make sure he he pulled the whistle at the right time for it to blow. So there's this other it just connects people mm. to things. Yeah. Well, the the strong support and vitalness of culture and the arts is about relationship. Mm. And uh, not long ago, you had another big trauma for your community, that of the Mm. fires of the Black Summer period. Mm. Uh, Can you tell us a little about that experience and how you Mm. were able to kind of build on those key community relationships in terms of trying to Mm. find ways to be able to support your community in this new change. Mm, sure. Um, yeah, so that was December 2019 and our community was in the middle of its Lights of Lobethal Festival, which has been going for decades, a really important celebration throughout the town of these beautiful lights and um, different activities. And we were uh, poised to collaborate with Gathered Market, which is a local business of artisan markets, to have a Christmas market. And it was cancelled due to catastrophic fire day and then completely cancelled because on the 20th of December we had a fire, the Cuddler Creek fire started nearby and came through uh, Lobethal and then kept going. So it went beyond Lobethal and 
yeah, devastated homes, houses, um, sheds, fences, stock and livelihoods. So it was quite it was a, a quite a traumatic event and we knew from a previous fire several years before, the Samson Flat Bush fire, that we knew that even 18 months out from that fire there were still higher rates of um, domestic violence and mental health issues and car accidents, but people weren't necessarily connecting that to the fire. So knowing that this fire was bigger, we knew it would have a long tail. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, we've got an arts organisation here that is connecting to community. What do we have? We can't rebuild homes. We can't offer funding to put up new fences. What have we got to offer in our tools? And so we offered, our first thing we offered was our space. So we had in our raw, um, Factory space, we do have one building that has hot water and air conditioning and toilets. And um, so we offered that space for our community. The lovely thing about that actually was that, well, lots of lovely things, but the building itself in the mill um, was called the blanket room. So when the blankets came off the the machinery, they all came to this building. It's a two-storey building uh, called the blanket room. And there were women there that inspected every single blanket and mended anything that had been, any threads that had been broken through the process or anything that had not been the pattern had gone awry they fixed it and so it 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 has always been spoken to with some degree of fondness by the communities as the blanket room and it was mostly women that worked there and so there's something nice about inviting our community back into that space but also it was a space that had been where a place where care had been taken Mm, care and healing yeah exactly yeah and so we made sure that was part of the story as we talked about the recovery center so we're run by local government, so that was an appropriate thing for local government to be offering to state government, housing, the Housing Trust, Housing SA, to manage that recovery centre where all the different um, organisations that are offering support to the community can be based. But we also wanted to work with them without interfering with their work to ensure the place wasn't corporate and it felt like a community space. So the first thing we did then when they were um, starting to settle in was invite Michelle Cripps from the Royal Adelaide Hospital's Arts and Health Program and just invite and she generously came out and just wandered through and just gave us some feedback on little things that could help to soften that corporate feel. And they're really practical things like, she said, why is everyone walking around with fluoro, you know, high-vis vests on? You know, there were ones with chaplain and ones with, you know, volunteer on them and everyone's in there's high-vis. The emergency's over now. We need to calm it down for people. They don't need to be brought to this space that's telling them emergency's happening. That's finished now. Um, She looked at things like, you know, someone had donated a whole lot of magazines for people to read in the waiting area. She's... If you've lost your home, you don't need a home beautiful magazine. Get those out. <laughs> um, things like the whiteboard. There was a whiteboard where everyone was just writing information because it's so chaotic in those early days. Um, you know where to get hay for your sheep, for your you know your cattle, and all, all those kind of things were being written up there. But it was it was a chaos. And she too said, much. "Yeah," mm. she said, "There are too many colours. If you're colourblind, you can only read half of this. You need one person with really good writing to write it out calmly and neatly." So they were just. They were just really practical, small things, but they were important, we thought. Well, they're pretty vital, isn't it? I think one of the things about evacuation centres or recovery hubs is that mm. they're they're such a connector, but they're also a place where triggers happen. Yeah. And there's not a lot of sensibility. Everyone has a job and they're getting mm. on with it and it's exactly. a kind of high stress level. But to think about it as being a place where people feel welcomed and cared for and have a sense of time to be able to sit 
it's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? Exactly. In general, yeah. how much and how beautiful we can offer a space to be able to soften those edges and make people really feel like they have time mm-hmm. and space to sit and be heard. Mm. And we had the time and space to do that because we weren't the ones trying to set up the centre mm. and make sure everything was working and all the paperwork was done. We could actually take that little bit of a step back and see that and make sure there are fresh flowers in vases and toys for the kids and homemade biscuits just for those first few weeks initially and then they got into the rhythm of it and it was it was fine. I also invited a, a number of artists to uh, loan us what I called works of comfort so that so that the space had artworks around that would be, you know, they didn't need any fire, fire artwork. <laughs> they just needed something that was soft and comfortable and soothing to soften the, the corporate feel that mm. could happen in that kind of environment. Yeah. And did mm. you do anything with regard to sound? Uh, no. No, you mean like in, bringing in sound mm. specifically? Mm. No, Because there's usually such noisy, harsh places. Yeah. In yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, uh, people respond to the smell of that building because it still has a lanolin smell. So oh, it had a different Embedded feel to it. Embedded in the stones. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and the, um, the, lanolin, the timber floors, I think, as well. It's in there as well. So... Um, no, and, you know, that's an interesting question because I come from a visual arts background and that maybe limited my um, response to thinking about mm. sound as well. Mm. Yeah. We'll talk more about the projects that you've done consequently, mm. but I'm curious to know um, in that exchange of having a recovery hub in an arts precinct space, what do you think was the sharing that happened there? Do you, you know, that we've got so much we can share with each other and learn from each other. Mm. Do you think consequently there was a interesting collaboration that came out of that? Yeah, I think um, there was there was that crossing over of, you know, we would know people and suggest, you know, go to the recovery centre. There'd be people who think that they didn't lose their home, therefore they didn't need support and not realise there was still counselling available, that there was still people that could help with their fences or there was still support they could get and they didn't have to have been a total loss to get that. So I guess there was that role that we could play, even like the local businesses up the street, you know, encourage them to come and have a chat with someone. Um, And then we could also hear back from them when they had people they thought might be interested in doing some art projects. One really tangible project was they, they, the recovery centre asked us if we knew anyone that could knit or crochet because we wanted there was a need for scarves and you know, warm hats and things. So we started a, a yarning circle for people that wanted to do that and got donations um, from that of, of uh, wool. But what was interesting, we found that people who, they were knitting for people who were total losses. We had people who were who had lost everything who came to those groups to knit for others, and that was a really interesting reflection to realise you might have lost everything, but you still there are times when you need to give as part of your recovery as well. Mm. Yeah, you need to feel. Value, yeah, exactly. In your worth, yes, too, yeah, as a giver, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So yeah, there were those little comings and goings in and out that kept mm. happening throughout the whole time. Mm. Mm. And so, uh, from there, what has evolved in terms of other programs that you've? Yeah, developed? a whole range of of things. So um, the regathered pro- uh, the gathered market that we didn't have, we ended up reholding. Um, in the months after, so this is in January, so just a month after the fires. There were a lot of fundraising things happening at that time and we thought, oh, everyone's getting a bit fatigued. But we had artists who had made produce and um, we thought let's we'll do this as a fundraiser. So we also created space in the market for any local business that had been impacted by the fires to have a free space to sell. So wineries that had been impacted and nurseries and um, so and we had 
donation to the local CFS. And we had 6,000 people over two days come to this market. We raised, I think it was $12,000 for the CFS. 80-year-old Des from the CFS was stuffing notes into his CFS hat. <laughs> it was really quite lovely. Um, and it was a really lovely support and, and way for people to gather and uh, feel like, yeah, we, we're going to be right. Um, I mean, that was such early days, but that was an important gathering. So, so that was a large kind of gathering. Also, immediately, probably the week after the fire, we had a local school teacher and artist ask us if she could use one of our spaces to bring adults together for just a creative activity, just to come bring whatever they're drawing or knitting or making and talk just to be. And again, amongst that group were people who had evacuated and people who had lost everything. Um, and they continued to meet for months afterwards. She also created a space for children to come and just draw and um be together after school uh, and so those kind of smaller gatherings started happening we had another local person who was an artist and a counsellor offer creative journaling classes those classes have continued they're still continuing now actually one of the groups has continued to meet so those smaller gatherings have continued all the way through still going now of people building relationships and expressing themselves through their sometimes it's expressing their work sometimes it's about taking time out and not even thinking about what's happened just being able to immerse into that meditative process of making and giving space to create and so they're not just about being a bushfire victim but they're actually a creative individual human being that can immerse in something and make something new so they've been that's been those kind of things have been important pulses for us to give people chance to connect through connect with each other and also to um, take time away from thinking about their recovery and just immerse in their making also opportunities to use making and creating as a way to look at what they're doing differently, look at what they're going through a little differently. Um, and then our activities that are bigger ones like the markets and different events we've held over the, the last two years have been about um, connecting up with businesses who are struggling to bring people out. There was that kind of hashtag bring an esky time, so linking in with that, but also you know through COVID as well, gathering when we can gather and doing that um, in a way that impacts our town helps feel like we will get back to normal. It's going to happen. Mm. Yeah. So important to have a sense of possibility. Mm. And that hope is mm. really important. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you feel was the impact of the overlayer of COVID on this process? How yeah. do you think that that sort of has woven itself through a bushfire recovery sensibility? Yeah, it's been an interesting, it has for everyone, I'm sure, um, for us, the timing of that meant that just when the community, you know, that's those stages of recovery when there's fragmentation afterwards and um, that they need to meet together and start hearing each other's stories deeply, that was when they were sent home for COVID isolation and they were sent home to houses they had, had to evacuate. So there was that, that sense of, hang on, this was unsafe, now this is the only place to be safe. And for some people they were sent home, they didn't have a home, so they had... Um, a shipping container or a caravan or someone's um, spare room. So that was a complicated thing already. During the COVID lockdown time, though, we were also hearing people going, oh, COVID doesn't exist. Like, we're just about recovery. Like, they just couldn't take another thing on. Mm. So there was also not wanting to think about it because they were just too busy thinking about recovery. Mm. Um, but it has meant, I think, the importance of gathering has been complicated. As a community arts organisation, we've been we had to get really creative about how do we okay how do we gather how do we keep 
connecting people. And so we had projects during those lockdowns. We connected up with Writers SA and had a project where we, it was a letter writing exchange project and we had workshops online about writing and journaling and we exchanged letters as a way of people being connected. Um, we had workshops online. Um, and then as soon as we could gather again, we did. And that first gathering back was August, actually, during South Australian Living Artists Festival that happens in, in the state. And we had an exhibition that was um, Jane Skier, local artist who had had a residency on Kangaroo Island. So she created a whole lot of artworks, a very emotional response where she had she was just so devastated by what had happened with the fires there. She'd lived on Kangaroo Island. So seeing so much devastation, she just emotionally got into some xanthoreas that had been burnt, the stumps, and was smashing them with a hammer and created this really energetic works with the resin from that. And so when I saw she was doing that on Instagram, I said, can you bring that work to Lobethal because this we need to connect these two firegrounds. And Lobethal also has Bushland Park, which is an area of native bush that... Um, hadn't ever burnt in the whole time of since European settlement. And people have kind of gone, oh, Bushland Park is pretty special, like it's, it's never burnt. And if that, that goes, we're done for. 95% of Bushland Park was burnt, including, it makes me want to weep even saying that, but, it, you know, the Zanzarias were part of that. By August, though, the Zanzarias had six-foot-high flowers. So there was this sign of hope and regeneration as well. So Jane's artwork was just the right thing at the right time. And to remind people, yes, COVID's happening, but we're still with you. We still know you're in bushfire recovery. The story hasn't changed here. We know that it's still happening. Yeah. It's an interesting point because I think that gets forgotten. You know, people mm. who go through these extraordinary life changes often feel like, the world's moved on mm. and yet yeah. they're still in yes. this process and their close neighbours have moved on and they mm. don't really understand the continuation of this recovery story or the yeah. process of change. Yeah, and it's so different for everyone. Everyone's story is what it is and, and it doesn't need that judgment of or assessment of it should be this or that or, yeah, it is what it is, mm. yeah. The term community-led is very mm. heavily used now within this context and to greater or lesser degrees of understanding perhaps but mm. from your perspective how do you how do you understand that or how do you unpack mm. that with your work I think being community connected has been really important for us and um, I mean we're, we're run by council which is part of the community but there's a separateness we aren't living neither myself or my colleague Renee there's two of us full-time live in Lobethal or we're living in a fire-affected part of the community. So we are in that way separate from that. But it did give us that degree of being separate as well. And um, What do you think is the value of that? I think, well, we could see um, that stage when things were getting fragmented and there were different little, someone had an opinion of what we should be doing here and there. We were outside of all of that. Um, and could see it a bit separately and it's still hear all of it as well and not feel like we were part of a faction, I suppose. But we also wanted to be able to listen deeply and respond. So we have always, we still keep listening and trying to make sure we're hearing and we're not just listening to the same people all the time as well. Um, and so that has meant sometimes we've just had to take initiative and hope that that's the right thing and take feedback if it's not um, and also be listening when we're being you know suggested things so there was one point where we had community members say some women saying look we haven't where's there's a group of 
we call them the kindy mums, but they were connected through a kindy and their kids have gone to school and they don't connect as much and they really wanted to start meeting to make quilts for people who'd lost everything. So that, that was their way of creatively responding to the community. Um, and then they started saying, actually, we know people who haven't have lost, you know, they don't have any craft materials. Can you start a craft, craft lending library? And so we sought some funding to be able to set up a space where people could come and borrow spinning wheels or sewing machines uh, and take thread and fabric and different wool and knitting needles um, so that they could keep their creative hands moving. So there have been things like that where we've responded to responses. We've also done some things where we've um, deliberately sought out different parts of the community. So we had a project, again, this is funded by Wellbeing SA, where we connected with an artist with all the local primary schools in the area, so three local primary schools, and every child was involved in mapping local thought. It was at a time, um, it was around, almost around the, the anniversary, the first anniversary, and people were starting to go, look, we need to start looking positively. We need to focus on the, on the positives. And so we thought, uh, how do you do that without being cheesy or uh, without actually being superficial and causing more harm? But um, we um, wanted to, we asked the children to map what they loved about Lobethal. You know, it was the bakery and the footy fields and the donuts. And, um, and then, and also um, for them to visually, um, working with an artist, uh, map out what they would love to see in Lobethal, what their dreams were. And they made a little time capsule for the future of what they thought would be happening in the future. So that was looking at the younger generation. We then worked with the seniors through the senior citizens in the local Valley of Praise retirement village. And the artists worked with them to map what they loved about Lobethal and their, gen- their, their years of living there. So they created a different kind of map that had photos of wedding, you know, weddings and balls and footy games and they brought in different objects that they'd kept from their lives there. Um, and then we exhibited those as an exhibition and invited the community to come in and add there, we had questions throughout the exhibition about what you hope for Lobethor, um, what one must do more of, what one must do less of. And then at the end of that exhibition, we invited community leaders in for uh, an evening of a facilitated session. So we invited principals from local primary schools, the community association, local businesses, um, different community service groups to come. So we thought, you're the leaders. This is what the community said they love about Lobethal. This is what they um, would love to see happen. And then we worked with a facilitator for them to start to express what they what their hopes were. And then we put that all together at the end of that and gave it back to them saying, take this back to your groups and see how that will integrate in. We now know the Community Association have been working on that and they want to meet again with all those people to tell everyone what they've been doing and what they're envisaging. So it was... Dreaming on. Yeah. Well, we wanted... It, we, we thought we, we can't hold this. We want to know what people want, but it's not ours to hold. It needs to go back into the community for it to be continued on. So, um, yeah, that was the um, intent of that project. So it's really important in this space how we look at uh, collaboration and how we kind of bring the skills that we have to the table for all of these different people working as there's so many layers Mm. of Mm. the recovery space and so many people playing Mm. their role and looking at ways to be supportive so Mm. yeah and it's richer by doing that because Mm. you can't do well for us there's only two of us and we can't do everything so it's finding the right connectors uh in the community and outside. So in the community, we knew it was about you know connecting with 
everyday community, but also who are the people in the community that are the leaders um, that could take something further and what are they seeing and what feedback can they give us, but what can we give back to them and how can we help them do that as well. Um, and then it's also about the, the people that we connect with, whether it's um, other arts organisations and artists or funding bodies um, to bring other resources into that mix as well. Mm. But also you you were saying to me earlier about that that really key uh, need to link particularly with the health and wellbeing sector and ensure that there were supports within mm. the programs that you offered. Yeah. So you always invited a representative, uh, a counsellor yes. or a support officer or someone who could be there to look out for um, triggers and wellbeing? Yes, yeah. So we, we knew that the artists we worked with were really empathetic and very skilled, but we didn't want them to feel like they need to be counsellors as well and we needed the, safe, the space to be safe for them. So, yeah, bringing in a professional counsellor to work alongside them has been really important. And so we've been we're still exploring ways of doing that so it's not contrived, but um, there's been a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's been having a counsellor just present and maybe involved in whatever the workshop or activity is, and so but people know that they're there as a counsellor and can take them aside and, and talk with them when they need. And that's been quite successful as well. We've seen that work well. And another model has been to incorporate a mindfulness session as part of the workshop. And so there's been um, one well-being professional we've had who'll do a mindfulness depending on what the what the workshop is she'll adapt it to that as well so there was a stage where we were doing this beautiful working with artist sue garrett who works with recycled materials and she was making um badges uh, merit badges so people uh, were doing it with children and also with adults of honoring whatever that is their strength and so instead of coming to a workshop and saying right what's your strengths just make something this uh, wellbeing counsellor took them through a mindfulness relaxation session and um, a process which would help them to identify what their strengths were. And then she stayed present throughout the whole session. And interestingly, the artist said, oh, it, it, quite interesting, people just got straight into it then. They were they were ready to go. They didn't, they, they approached the workshop differently having had that session first. And then at the end, the, the counsellor stayed nearby and then she you know, made sure she spoke with everyone. Sometimes she brought the whole group together to share. Sometimes she just shared with them separately, but made sure that that circle was closed. So, yeah, it's been an interesting process to, to explore ways of integrating a wellbeing process and that support, mental health support, in a way that's integrated and not kind of tacked on. Mm, so yeah. vital, isn't it, mm. particularly in these deep times yes yeah. yeah yeah and I think because the conversation around mental health is much more evident generally in the community now um it it's that's really helpful as well mm. it doesn't seem odd to have someone there mm. Mm. and what about the artists I know that one of the challenges that we try to address through the creative recovery network is is the care of the artists because as you say mm. they're not counsellors they're not necessarily experienced in working within a trauma-informed process mm. but they need to be skilling themselves up to be able to sit in those spaces and hold them for the communities that they're inviting in. Mm. What was the process or how? what have you learnt from that with your work? Mm. I think we've, we've made sure we've worked with artists who have a history of working with people who may be vulnerable um, or a strong community involvement and connection. Um, so that's always been an important thing and that the, the process is as important as the outcome as well it's not neither or but um there's so everyone feels like they've they are capable regardless of their 
experience making art in the past because sometimes you know, you've got to deal with that as well if people aren't used to making there can be a I'm not an artist uh, yeah and there's that stage when they <laughs> I start can't draw. yeah and that is a real barrier and mm. I've you, you notice that with people going like there's often a stage if we're used to making things you're used to not getting it right at the beginning and pushing through but if you're not used to making things you'll get to that stage where you're cack-handed and it's not working and you, it can be tempting your brain will just be telling you you're stupid you're not any good at this you're not one of those kind of people that can make things and so there's a importance to be able, important to be able to um, help people through that to feel like yeah that what what they can make will be successful well it's so vital at this point that it has to be in some ways yes. and you need to find some some strength in the process rather than a belittling exchange. yes exactly so I think that's the other part is having artists that can um, are really skilled at having processes that are simple and will lead to a successful outcome that no one fails everyone makes something fabulous at the end mm. Mm. it's actually a very skilled state to have to be in like not not necessarily all artists are appropriate but what do you think are the key uh, traits that are required to work in this way yeah I think um certainly the empathy um with people and just loving people and loving what people come up with and loving their ideas so there's that sense of enthusiasm uh in terms of their practice I think often we find it's the ones that have got a diversity in their practice that can go oh okay you're going to need this how about you do this and this and they can quickly change things or they can adapt their whatever it is to what the individuals need because they're not working with artists or people that want to be artists necessarily they're working with people that might be new to this so they need you often need a lot of skills a lot in your toolkit to be able to know what to reach for at that time with that person Mm. Um, so yeah those kind of artists have been really helpful often they're ones that already are having you know um we're offering art workshops in their own as part of their own practice and business anyway yeah and then um in due responsibility what we are trying to encourage is this broader sensibility of how we care for artists who work mm. in this front line. Yeah. It's uh, historically we've seen a lot of people thrown into this space without any container of care for themselves and, mm. and perhaps a lack of understanding from organisational or funding bodies of the requirement. Mm. Like what's your experience in that and what would you be recommending? Yeah, I think it's really important to take care of your artists and make sure the, safe, the space is safe for them, which is why we're, we're interested in involving mental health professionals to make sure that it wasn't the artist having to deal with someone if they were um, in, in a state where they needed support. Um, and it's also about listening and and uh, being able for them to be able to debrief. But we're, we're very aware that our artists really um, gave a lot. At the end of last year, I think it was, um, we invited all of those artists to come together and have a masterclass with um, India Flint, who's a uh, master um natural dye and textile artist um, as a treat for them to give something back to them. But we're, yeah, we're very aware that's an area to look at more. We During last year as well, we collaborated with Country Arts SA uh, during the Regional Arts Australia conference that ended up, it was going to be in Launceston, ended up being, um, because of COVID, regionally based in each state, and we became the host for that. And um, that was a great program nationally, um, but it was great for to work with country arts to say, well, okay, who, we wanted to invite arts practitioners, whether they're artists or people that work in the arts, they're all tired, they're exhausted. If we're going to gather them, and I guess I'm really interested in the idea of intentional gathering and um, 
if you're going to gather wine, let's make it so it's it's a restorative time for them as well, a time for them to share what they're doing, but also let's have workshops for them to do. When you're gathering as creative people together, they need to be creative. Sometimes they'll need to sit and stitch or knit or create while they're listening because that's what they are. So it was interesting to create an event that offered nourishment and nurture and support to artists. It's so important and such a strong, beautiful word to nourish. Mm. You know, in this sector, in disaster management, the majority of the sector are volunteers, actually, Mm. the people who are working. And I think more and more into the future, we have to be really thinking very deeply and carefully about nurture. Like, how do we reinvigorate very tired people, very tired mm. communities who are going to be more and more stretched, yeah. actually. And also, how do we create a kind of process of turnover so that we're not all carrying the load? Yes. Yeah, mm. exactly. And it's a, it's a big question because I think our culture and maybe the arts as well, specifically, is pretty intensely involved in being busy. And it's partly because we're we've not got a lot of resources and we can see the need, we want to get things done, but it's not sustainable and we... You know, I'm aware of how often I'll say how busy I am and, and it's been a big couple of years, but it's been worth it. But it's also been costly. And I think how can we model wellness and to our community if we're not living sustainably in the arts as well? So mm, that's a, such a challenge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> a curious challenge. <laughs> yes, yes, curious challenge. And also to under, understand, like, we, we're working with people who've been deeply impacted and mm. we may, you said you, you didn't live in that community, but you're mm. still deeply impacted in the work and that vicarious process of how you're carrying and holding mm. and nurturing those stories. So we can't forget the individual weight of that. No, no. And it's, it, uh, well, to be honest, it's, it's easy for me just to not even think that's happening. Mm. Um, and, and to, to see the need out there and not to look at maybe I need some support in there too. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think it's a common story in community too. Like there's people mm. are worse off than I. It's mm. always that that yes. sensibility and so you get left behind and the leaders in communities yes. don't get nurtured to hold or to transition themselves into other roles and mm. so much that we can learn and do and I think so much we yeah. can offer from a perspective of culture and the arts as a yes. a space for nurture and re-reminding of the human nature of hope and need and care yeah, exactly exactly and it's such an important thing to be reminding ourselves as i'm speaking <laughs> that um yeah you can't you, 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 if it is if we do really believe that the arts and culture uh can offer a way of healthy living then we need to be living that as arts practitioners and professionals as well mm. yeah Mm. That's a challenge. <laughs> yes. Go forth with curiosity. Yes. <laughs> so where where from here? What are the next steps? Because you know we're two and a half or more mm. years on now, and uh, still just touching on people finally. Some people finally getting homes, others not. Like this is still mm. a long journey ahead. Mm. How do you? Mm. How are you looking at that for yourself, but also for fabric and yeah. the community? And for Fabric, we've got a new stage in our premises over the last couple of weeks have now closed for redevelopment. So we've really fortunately received state and federal and funding to link up with our local government funding to redevelop the site, which means we're closed. And But we're really keen to keep a heartbeat of connection with our community. Um, and there are community members who want to keep meeting. So there's some small... And, and some of this stuff has been... Um, really behind the scenes we haven't been putting on social media it's because it's private and so some of that will continue those community small groups continuing together Um, we have a project coming up 
with Louise Flaherty called Memorial for Forgotten Trees. And um, that will be a creative project that she'll produce with Tanya Vogus and Belinda Gehertli, a choreographer, dancer and a musician and composer. And so that's around acknowledging trees and the loss of trees and um and that'll be based at Bushland Park. It'll be a performance that will then segue into a series of workshops with community to create a new work in that space, memorialising and, and celebrating Bushland Park. So we're continuing projects outside of the walls of fabric um, and exploring ways we can continue to connect with our community without a building at the moment. Mm. Because, yeah, we, we still know there's still a... Uh, a process that people are still going through it's not over yet no no stays on doesn't Mm. it and for yourself what's your how are you going to look after yourself oh don't ask me that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that uh, big big gap there I've got what am I going to do with that um there's it's a long haul isn't it yeah yeah it is time out and reflecting not being uh, on the site and, and entering to new stage of fabric actually is a good time of reflection anyway of what have we done, who are we going to be when we reopen, what what will continue on, what needs to change. So it is a nice time to take the pressure off to be able to reflect and take time out and look at support. So definitely that, but definitely more creative. My own creative practice needs to be in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, More making. Yeah, definitely more making, yeah. Well, I look forward to continuing the story with you yeah it's lovely to share with you and connect that with lots all the other stories that happening across the country yeah Yeah, Yeah. great work and such um beautiful connections it sounds Mm. that have continued to evolve in those small groups and small steps it's a great community yeah yeah we wish you all the best for the next reimagining thank you (laughs) thanks very much thanks for joining me for creative responders in conversation And a special thanks to Melinda for taking the time to speak with me and particularly for welcoming me into her beautiful home. We'll include links in our show notes to Fabric's website and you can also keep up with their work and exhibitions on Facebook and Instagram. The handle is at Fabric, that's spelled F-A-B-R-I-K dot arts. If you'd like to access episode transcripts and research links related to the podcast, head over to creativerecovery.com net.au where you can find all our past episodes this podcast is produced by me Skosha Monkovic and my creative recovery network colleague Jill Robson our sound engineer is Glenn Morrow we'll be back next month with another conversation I hope you can join us then thanks for listening